Hi, and welcome to Friday Voice. I'm Andrea James. I'm your host for today and also for all the Voice on the Air podcasts. If you want to access the other podcasts and also all the other resources that Voice has to offer, then go to voiceatthetable.com. Today we have uh, the really, really lovely Amanda Cullen to present to us. And she's going to talk to us about being an entrepreneur. And you'll find out very soon exactly what that means. Amanda Cullen is a business and leadership coach, and she helps small businesses run their businesses better. It's as simple as that. Um, welcome, Amanda. Be with you today. Great. So, um, shall I just kick off? Yes, please. Great. Okay. So, hi, everybody. Um, in the next, I guess, 20 minutes or so, but expanded with questions, hopefully, from you, I'm going to be talking about the importance of taking charge of our careers. Uh, here we go. So, um, I'm aiming to share with you some tips about running your career as if it was a business. And that really is what I mean by being an entrepreneur. It's like being an entrepreneur, having an entrepreneurial spirit, but in relation to how you run your career or how you move your career forward. It really means that you need to be strategic and take a strategic approach to managing your career. And I believe that that increases the likelihood of you having a successful outcome. Um, a brief word uh, maybe about my own background. So I spent many years in corporate life leading business units within a global firm and more recently I have been running my own business and as Andrea mentioned I now coach other business owners to achieve business success. And I think there are four key steps that we need to satisfy in order to achieve career success. And by success, and you'll notice I mentioned this on the slide, I mean whatever you personally consider to be success. And that may or may not be the same as the definition for other people around you. So it's really important that you um, don't get kind of sucked into thinking that success is somebody else's definition, but that you know what it is you want to achieve. Whether that is becoming the CEO of a global firm, or whether it is um, getting to the stage where you feel like you've got work and life in balance, but you are nonetheless being recognized for the work that you do. So my first key step of the four key steps is to have a purpose. So my thinking is this, we spend many hours at work and ideally therefore it needs to be both enjoyable and fulfilling. And of course, we have days, you know, when we just don't want to go to work. We wouldn't be human if we didn't. Um, and that can be for all sorts of reasons. It can be because we're tired, because we're going through a diff difficult patch. We've got a really tricky meeting or a really tricky report to write or whatever it might be. Or it could just be that there's something else going on in our lives that means that work um, is kind of getting in the way. But overall, um, because we spend so much time working we need it to be, as I said, enjoyable and fulfilling. So having a purpose means that what you do is important at some core level. 
not just because it makes you money or because it gives you spending power or security, important as those may be. So let me give you an example. I used to work in the pensions industry. And the reason I worked in that industry was because I cared about the welfare of elderly people. It was important to me that people had enough to live on when they were no longer able to work. Yet there were lots of other things that I enjoyed about my job, fortunately. But that, that caring about the elderly was actually at the core of my reason for being in that sector. So why do you do what you do? Here's a question for you. On a scale of one to 10, how satisfying, how enjoyable and fulfilling is your job? Feel free to type that in the chat box if you'd like to share it with me. And while you're thinking about that, uh, and before we carry mm. on with the rest, I was waiting for more people's join in before I gave you a, a little sort of heads up about the format. Um, I'll be monitoring the chat box throughout the Amanda's presentation. So if you have any questions or any comments, feel free to type them into the chat box at any time. And I will feed the questions to Amanda during one of our natural breaks between the points. If you'd like to ask Amanda a question directly as well, um, you can do that uh, during one of these natural breaks. I'll unmute you and you can have a, a quick conversation. I would say to, to keep your questions brief so that we can stay within the hour of our presentation. And I'll let it go back to Amanda now. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks, thanks, Andrea. So if you have scored less than five, and I see that um, people who are sharing with us are, are scoring higher, so that's great. But if you've scored less than five on this scale of one to 10 in terms of how satisfying your job is, then I would ask you this. Are you sure that you're in the right organization or even perhaps in the right career? And if your score is, say, five to eight, say, then I'd suggest you need to consider what you can do to move it towards 10. Now, one of the things you can do is to think about your values. So part of feeling that there's a purpose behind the work you do is being comfortable that it is, it is in fact, aligned with your values. And in my case, it was when my values started to diverge from those of my then employer that I knew I had to change jobs. So what do I mean by values? I mean that they're qualities that really matter to us. They're either core values or they're inspiring values. So core values are, as, as this picture attempts to show, they're kind of like our foundations. They're the bedrock of what makes us tick. Um, for me, a, a core value is integrity. That's really important to me. If I don't have integrity, if there isn't integrity in the people I interact with, then my foundations feel rocked. I feel insecure. And inspiring values, on the other hand, are the ones that kind of light us up and give us energy and momentum and move us forward. And for me, for example, um, a couple of inspiring values might be variety because I love to do lots of different things and challenge because I like being stretched and tested and, and pushed to do something, something new and something difficult. So two different types of values, core values and inspiring values. So do you know what your values are? If not, here's a tip to help you uncover them. Your core values are most often evident 
when they're being trampled on. <laughs> so next time you feel a really strong negative emotion, maybe cross or angry or upset, it's probably because somewhere along the line a value is being offended. Now, in that moment of being cross, angry or upset, you're obviously not going to be able to go, hmm, interesting, which core value is this that's being trampled on? No, clearly that's, that's unrealistic because when you're in the heat of the emotion, you can't think kind of logically and calmly. But afterwards, you know, when the heat of the emotion is over, just take a moment to look back and ask yourself why it was that you felt quite so strongly. What was it that affected you so much? And I bet you, you'll find that there's something really important to you, a core value that lay behind it. Your inspiring values, on the other hand, are the qualities that you're passionate about. So they're most often identified by the situations that give you positive energy. So for me, as I said, they're variety and challenge. And typically for extroverts, which I am, or at least I'm an ambivert, which is a mixture of extrovert and introvert, but typically for extroverts, they can show up as a, as a buzz, maybe an adrenaline rush, something that gives you kind of um, you know, physical feeling of, 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 of buzzing energy. For others, and particularly if you're an introvert, um, inspiring values can be identified by a calmer sense, perhaps a sense of calm energy or satisfaction or peace. So again, watch out for the things that, that light you up. And I promise you there's an inspiring value lurking behind. So a couple of tips there to help you find your purpose. Now let's come on to my second step. And my second step is to have a vision. Um, Amanda, it's before, really important. Sorry, yeah, sure. can I interrupt you for a second? Um, before you go on to the second step, I've got a question about the values. Um, mm -hmm. You said um, for the core values, that if something annoys us, we can try mm. to determine how that, um, how that affected us and therefore our values. So for example, if, if, I'm, if I get annoyed that somebody's late and that kind of irritates me, how do I derive my core value from that? Great question. So it could be, Actually, at a, at, a, at a very simplistic level, it could be that punctuality and timeliness is important to you. I know it's important to me and I get really grumpy when people are late for that reason. But, under, but it could be something deeper than that. It could, for example, be that respect is important to you and that you feel that if somebody's late, they're showing you disrespect. So you kind of have to drill a little bit deeper than the superficial, oh gosh, they're late, I'm really cross, mm -hmm. and go, why, why is it I'm cross? You know, am I cross because um, to me it's important to be efficient, i.e. that's the kind of punctuality, time management kind of thing, or am I cross because I feel that they're saying their time is more precious than mine? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Great, great. Okay, shall I move on? Yes. Cool. Okay, so let's have a look at this second step of having a vision. So I think in corporate life, it's important to have a target to aim for. And I call this your vision, but I do know that some people don't like the word vision. Um, and you can, call, you can call it goal if you prefer. The reason I don't use the word goal is that I think it, that's, um, that sometimes gets confused with yearly or, or part yearly performance goals that are set in your organization, and some of which you may have limited control over. 
and I'm kind of taking a uh, uh, lifting my eyes a bit higher than those uh, yearly performance goals and looking out over the longer term. So the vision I'm talking about is more your longer term career objective. So using myself as an example again, when I worked in the pensions industry, I really wanted to become head of a business unit. That was my vision. And three years after articulating that vision, I achieved it. Now, it didn't matter to me that there was no other woman currently doing that role or that the qualifications I had would make me an unusual choice. It mattered that I knew what I wanted and that I believed I could do it. So I think it's important that you can state your vision clearly and simply. And I think it's ideally uh, one sentence so you're really focused on what you want to achieve. And I don't know about you, but an awful lot of corporate vision or mission statements I've read are an awful lot longer and quite hard to really kind of fix in your mind. And I think that if you have employees, your vision statement should be something they can repeat without even really having to think about it. Something that underpins everything they do and you do. And I would say the same for you if you're thinking about your own vision. It should be something that you can state really clearly and simply and, and that does, isn't complicated. So are you clear what you want to achieve and by when? And what's your vision? I'm about to move on to step three, but I can feel Andrea about to jump in. <laughs> Even across right? the way. <laughs> You're not wrong there. You're not wrong. Um, I was going to yeah. say, sometimes visions are a little murky, as it were. You know you mm. want to do something in this arena, but you don't know how or what. Um, so I'll, my own personal example, I knew I wanted to work with food and mm -hmm. more specifically cooking with with people but actually it took me a while to come to this vision um how would you say or what advice would you give for people who have an inkling but can't quite articulate what their vision is and it's sometimes through a process for me it was um but what would you suggest for people who yeah, have an inkling, but, but can't get it clear. Sure. I, I, I think there are lots of different things you can try, and some things work better for some people than, than others. Um, lots of you may well be familiar with the concept of vision boards, and this is where you grab a nice big sheet of paper, or you, you can do it online, but I personally think it works better with physical paper, and then you flick through a, a load of magazines. I'm the, the, the woman who taught me to do vision boards said you also need a large glass of wine. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a prerequisite for everybody. Uh, but you do need to fit the, the, think the point I'm making is it, it's good to be in a kind of relaxed state so you're not feeling anxious or tense about the whole thing. And you, the, the idea is that you flick through magazines and pictures that grab your attention as you think about, you know, how would I like the future to be? You, you tear out, you cut out, whatever, however you want to do them, and you stick them on your sheet of paper so that you're building up a picture, not of exactly what you want to do in the future, but the elements that you want it to contain. And that is one way that people can kind of, and, and it could be words, it could be pictures, it could be that you've got pictures and then you get your pens and you write messages around the edge 
you know, however it is for you. And um, intriguingly, when, when I look at my vision board and I compare it to my daughter's, they are completely different because I'm sitting here as I talk to you with my vision board in front of, in front of me and nearly everything on it is a word statement. You know, it's, it's a cluster of words that I've cut out of an article and, and stuck on. There are hardly any pictures. And that's because I'm not very visual. Her vision board has no words on it at all. It's all pictures. So whatever works for you in terms of just building up a picture of what you want the future to hold. So that's, that's one thing you can do. The other, which is maybe a little bit more concrete, is to look around your, your organisation and imagine yourself doing different roles that more senior people are doing. And notice how you react to that imagining. So do, do, you, do you go... Do you, do you get lit up? In other words, do you think, yeah, I'd love to be doing that job. Oh my God, I'd love that job. Or do you think, yuck, I can't imagine anything worse than having that job. And that similarly will tell you what sorts of things you're drawn to. So a couple of ideas there. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, as my two cents, I, I found that by speaking to somebody, oh, not somebody, speaking to lots of people rather, about yeah. vague vision, and then they, they draw a conclusion from it. And I go, no, no, no. That's not it. <laughs> it actually helped me because um, during the cooking, people are like, so you want everybody to eat healthily? I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, and through all the um, <laughs> sort of objections on my part, it became clearer and clearer what it is I was trying to do. Um, so I don't know if that helps, but, but when you know roughly in that which area you want, but you don't have uh, any clarity, I found like <laughs> wild objections to people. <laughs> Yeah. People's claims. There's, there's something really powerful about the no, that's not it. Mm -hmm. You know, eliminating what you don't want to do that. In in a, and it's a similar in a way to what I was saying about you know if you look around as you look around your organisation and you you notice people who are doing roles where you think oh I can't imagine doing anything worse mm -hmm. that tells you something about what you don't want to do and helps you move closer to what you what you do want to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great, great talk. Talk to lots of people. You know, to the extent that you can. That's fantastic. It's a shame. Cool. That, let's move on. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Go on. I was just going to say it's a shame that Raphael seems to have um, lost connection uh, because I she she ran a vision board, um, and that was my first time doing one. So. Oh, right. Session. Yeah. What a shame. Well, hopefully yeah. she'll rejoin us, and if not, we can listen in later. Indeed. So let's move on. Step three is have a strategy. Um, I picked this picture because I think people do think of chess as strategic, but I have to confess at being one of the worst uh, chess players in the world, I think. <laughs> so the point here is that it's all very well when you've got your vision knowing what you want to achieve, but unless you know how you're going to achieve it, you're not going to get very far. So I think that the best way of developing your strategy is to start by identifying what you want to achieve. That was your vision. And then you look at where you are now. And then you effectively do gap analysis. You identify the steps you need to take to plug the gap from where you are now, from here, to where you want to get to there. And uh, coming back to me as an example, when I, when I articulated my vision of being a business head, I knew that I needed to raise my profile with senior leadership and also demonstrate that I had the necessary skills. Um, when you're developing strategy, it's also really important to play to your strengths. And that's what we're good at. And also knowing what we struggle with. 
And one of the things that really irritates me is that there's a huge pressure in the world and particularly in corporate life to get rid of our weaknesses and somehow feel guilty about them. And a huge amount of time and energy expended in performance reviews and training and development on tackling weaknesses and trying to eliminate them. But here's my perspective. In this world, we have a massive need for diversity, diversity of strengths and skills. For example, we can't, we can't all, and nor would we want to all be lawyers with their love of detail or perhaps their skill in negotiating. The world also needs people with other skills, say creative people who can design the beautiful spaces that we live in and work in, or people who invent useful products for us to use, or those who produce wonderful music and art to feed our souls. So I think it's important that we play to our strengths. And yes, we need to manage or mitigate our weaknesses where they get in the way, but not spend huge amounts of our time agonizing over them and thinking there's something wrong with us because we're not 100% perfect in every, in every way. way. Um, my strengths, for example, are thinking strategically and looking at the bigger picture. And I'm also actually really good at getting focused on the task in hand and managing time. You heard me say earlier that time management is really important to me. And I'm also good at listening, really listening to what people don't say as well as what they do and using my intuition. And those skills have stood me in really good stead, as you can imagine, as a coach. But on the other hand, if you think about my weaknesses, I'm really, really not into detail and analysis and research and data. It bores me to death and I switch off and it takes me 10 times as long to do that sort of work as it would take somebody who enjoyed it. And I also have very poor visual memory. So I can't draw to save my life and I have no sense of direction. My two-year-old daughter, two-year-old at the time, was able to tell me we'd turned the wrong way out of nursery to go home one day. Um, when I had no idea and I you know I'm still embarrassed about that now so when I'm working with clients so in my work I play to my strengths and as a coach that enables me to be my best self giving my best thinking and indeed my best energy to my clients which let which enables them to feel safe and to cope with greater challenge than might otherwise be the case so I guess the next question is, do you know your strengths? And if not, it's a really good idea to get clear on them. Um, if you're not sure what your strengths are, then one thing you can do is to ask at least five friends, family, close colleagues to tell you the three things they think you're good at. If that feels a bit weird, then offer to reciprocate as well. But get three things from each of these people and draw up a list of all the three things that they tell you. So since you're asking at least five people, you should have at least 15 things on your list and preferably more if you've asked more. And have a look at the list and then see what comes up frequently. Maybe not using exactly the same wording, but near enough. And the items that come up frequently are likely to be your top strengths. And it's so common for us not to see our own strengths, but for other people to know them really obviously. So, so do talk to others and get them to tell you what you're good at. We've got a couple um, of that, Yeah, go for it. Um, first question is, when asking people what the, um, the, the, this person's strengths are, it tends to be 
people in their personal life and they don't mm. know how to translate those findings as it were or those that feedback to a work situation you know so things like being caring uh, or warm um and they're, they're okay. confused yeah, no. about how to translate that into their work environment and they're, they're not comfortable with asking their work colleagues about uh, what their strengths might be sure no i get that i understand that because i think sometimes we can feel a bit awkward about asking colleagues um it comes back to digging deeper i suppose if i if i heard people say that the strengths were something around being warm and caring i'd go sounds like I'm probably quite good at building rapport with people, building relationships. Because if I come across as warm, that probably means people feel comfortable with me. So what am I doing in my job that building relationships is important about? So maybe it's about being a, an effective team player, or it might be, depending you know, where you are on the career ladder, about being good at empathizing with um, more junior colleagues and helping to develop and bring them on. Or if you're in a customer or client facing role, it could be about um, building good uh, client relationships, good customer relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of taking the underlying strength and applying it to what do I do in my job that that strength is useful for? Does that make sense? Yep. And the second question we've got is, if you, because you mentioned earlier about organizations not necessarily um, developing people's strengths or, or noticing them rather than, you know, rather they focus on the weaknesses. What happens if you work for um, a manager or boss who doesn't see that? He's always focusing on developing the, the or eliminating the weaknesses, um, eliminating but reducing. How, how do you switch that mindset? What can you do from your side? Well, I'm glad you said, how do you do it from your side? Because the, the reality is that we only have control about how we are, you know, no matter how much we might love to change somebody else. Actually, the only person that we have power over is ourselves. You can't change somebody else's mindset per se. Um, and, and that's a, a very common um, issue that we come across in coaching. We always say to people, your brother, I can't coach your, you know, Know, your daughter, whoever it is who's winding you up, I can only coach you. And we basically say there are three things you can do in that situation. You can, um, you can change your attitude or you can change, um, uh, you, sorry, you can, you can accept the situation. So you can change your attitude to the situation or you can change your approach. So you recognize there's an issue, but you tackle it. Or ultimately, if it's not, sustainable then you have to change your relationship with the person by moving elsewhere i.e by changing job or asking for a transfer so assuming for a moment that you're not in the dire situation of being in that last last point um i would there's something around perspective if we if we go into conversations with somebody expecting what we've always had then you know it's a cliche, cliche isn't it that if you do what you always do you'll get what you always got or you'll and 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 so in conversations with the boss, if you go in defensive because you know they're going to criticize the weaknesses, um, it kind of sets up an atmosphere where that's inevitably going to be the focus. So one of the things I think I'd probably encourage people to do is to prepare 
far more than you might for a conversation where you're in a much more mutually supportive um, boss uh, colleague relationship. Make sure that you've gathered lots of evidence of what of the stuff you're doing well, um, including act, uh, specific feedback from individuals and preferably from more senior individuals. Um, in other words, try and switch the conversation from the negative to the positive. And the other thing I might do, and it, it does depend on your own confidence and uh, how secure you're feeling and also the environment, the culture, if you like, of the organisation is, sometimes it actually pays off to call them on it. Because I think sometimes um, managers can get into exactly the same rut of having the same conversation because they're on autopilot. So actually saying to them, it feels like all we ever do is talk about my weaknesses when uh, I'm doing all this other great stuff. You know, the reality is those weaknesses are never going to go away, although I'll do what I can to minimize them. But can we focus on what's going well? Sometimes that kind of brings them up short and makes them realize that they were, they were playing the same game. Hmm. That's very helpful. Thank you. Good. Let's move on. So fourth step. And the fourth and final step is to have a plan. So what I mean by this is that your strategy, um, which is aligned with your strengths, remember, it gives you a good sense of the activity you need to engage in, in order to achieve your vision. But experience tells me that to really move forward, we need a more concrete plan i.e. we need to know exactly what we'll do this week, this month, or this year to move towards our goal or our vision. So I would suggest to you that once you're clear on your vision, you take time out to sit down and scope out exactly what you need to move towards it. So remember that in the strategy step, you've done your gap analysis, you've identified you know, where you, why, what you need to do in a kind of high level to get from here to there, but you haven't necessarily thought about what are you going to do this week to move forward. So for me, for example, and my vision, which you'll remember was becoming head of a business unit, what I identified was that at a high level, I knew that I needed to, uh, as I said, raise, more, raise my profile with senior leadership and demonstrate I had the necessary skills. And what I needed to do when I drilled down into the next level of detail was to find a way to spend more time with our national business leader. And the action I took to achieve that was to pitch to him that our business needed someone to take a lead on a training and development strategy from within the business. So alongside the uh, HR people who were responsible for training and development. And Training and development and particularly technical training, well, and behavioral training, actually, was an area that really interested me and where I had some clear views. And I was perhaps fortunate that uh, my boss could see the benefit in me taking on that role. Um, I'd like to think that was because I put forward persuasive arguments. But it led to us meeting face to face every six weeks or so to discuss the training and development strategy and to move it forward. And that in turn, of course, uh, it gave me airtime with him, it gave me face time with him, and it enabled me to, by, de by definition, raise my profile with him. But it also enabled me to demonstrate strategic thinking, um, because that obviously is a key requisite of being a business leader. Now, you'll notice that I said I chose training and development 
um, because I already had an interest in it and because I felt I had something to say. Um, and it, there is really no point in taking an action um, that uh, isn't aligned with your strengths and you know, your interests. So the trick is to make sure, as I said before, that you play to your strengths, you spend most of your time on the areas you're good at, and you find ways to minimize time on the other areas. Because otherwise you waste time struggling with stuff that doesn't come naturally. So if you, for example, have the ability to delegate, then think about, uh, we're, we're normally encouraged in delegation to delegate the tasks that maybe we did a year ago or two years ago that the next level of juniorness um, should, be, should be learning. But it's also worth thinking about delegating the tasks that just don't come naturally to you and that you take a long time on and that somebody else in your team or, or somebody else in your organization might A, find easier and B, find really enjoyable. And I was talking to somebody the other day and actually she was formerly a, a head of learning and development in a big law firm. And she said one of her jobs um, in that, or you know, one of the things she had to do in that role was to um, look, at the, look at the financials, look at the, the um, uh, expense report for the, the team and the expenditure, the budget and expenditure that they were proposing should be spent on, on learning and development. And she said, you know, I can do it if I really have to. You know, I can get my head around numbers. It's not that I can't do it, but I hate it. And I take ages over it because any excuse to go and have a cup of coffee, make another phone call, stop and chat to somebody, I'll grab it with both hands because I just hate doing accounts. And she said, suddenly one day I realized that there was somebody in my team, considerably more junior, but who absolutely loved this stuff, loved it to the extent that she would take it home and do it at weekends because she actually really, really enjoyed it. She loved playing with the numbers. And she said it was such a light bulb moment to her that it was in both their interests that this job got passed from her, whose ultimate responsibility it was, to the other person who really enjoyed doing it and would do it better and more quickly. So um, I really encourage you to think about what are the things that you really struggle with in your, in your work because you hate doing them or because you find them difficult. And is there a way that you can get around that? Is there somebody else who could help you or somebody else who could take on that task, maybe in exchange for helping them with something that you find easy? And the other thing uh, that is important is to set time aside for those activities that will make most difference to achieving your strategy. And I mean literally setting it aside and blocking it out in the diary. And that helps me a lot. Um, I mean, when you're, when you're planning your career moves and your career steps and um, you need lots of thinking time, it may be that you find it hard to justify doing that in the working day. That will depend partly on how busy you are just kind of doing the day-to-day -day stuff and partly on the culture of your organization and partly on your own personality. And I think that um, it's actually not a bad thing to do some of this career planning in your own time because it is really for your benefit and it may or may not keep you with the current employer. It should make you a more useful employee, um, but it's primarily for your benefit, not for theirs. So if you want to do it, or if you feel more comfortable doing this kind of career planning outside the, the working day, then, you know, so be it. But I would literally set time aside and block it out in your diary. 
And I'm thinking here, if I think back to my, my um, steps that I took, when I was thinking, so, okay, so I want more face time um, with senior leadership. What does that mean? I, I think that um, a lot of my early thinking was done maybe on the journey home, actually, or uh, in my own time in the evenings where I was thinking, breaking out down into the manageable steps. Okay, so who does senior leadership, who's the easiest person to, to tackle at senior leadership level? Okay, so that's our national business for me to get profile with. What might be interested in that I'm also interested in? You know, what might be a win-win? Ah, training and development. Actually, that's something that I know he, is, he thinks is important and it's really important to me. Now, how could I position it so that we can talk about that? So though all those thinking steps I did in my own time, the actual work on the training and development strategy and the face-to-face -face meetings with him happened in office time. But it's the preparation time and the thinking time and the planning time that I'm suggesting you actively block out time inside or outside the working day to do. And the, the last tip that I would give you, I think, is that if you can find someone with whom you can share that vision, strategy and plan um, and who will hold you accountable, that will make a huge difference. And you could be, that, can be, that can be anyone that you trust and who's interested in your career. So it could be your partner. It could be a good friend. It could be a colleague, it could be a peer, but if so, I would suggest it's not a good idea for it to be somebody who is uh, potentially in competition with you. So um, somebody who has a similar aspiration to you and there's only room for one or two or, or fewer, you know, sorry, there's only room for one of you to succeed. That's not, that's not a good um, person to, to do it with. If you can't, uh, if there's nobody in your circle, that um, that works with, then potentially get yourself a mentor or a coach. Um, and certainly uh, at various stages in my career, I found coaching hugely helpful to, to move me forward and hold me accountable. Yeah, so that's my, that's my fourth step. Uh, any questions at this stage? Uh, actually, no questions have come in for this one. Okay, cool. So maybe it helps if I just summarize those four steps at this stage. And um, as I said, these are things that I think helped me to be a successful entrepreneur, i.e. to manage my career as if it was a business. And just to recap, the first one was to have a purpose. And the second one was to have a vision. And the third one was to have a strategy. And the fourth one is to have a plan. And most importantly, I do actually think this is the most important, is to, to make yourself accountable to someone. Mutual accountability is a great thing. So if, the, if you can find somebody who, if, you, if you're not going down the route of what I call a formal um, mentor or coach, then offering to hold somebody else accountable for, for something um, is, is a great way to do it. So in other words, having a buddy that you, that you have mutual accountability with or an accountability partner as it's sometimes called that's uh, that's a really great idea so that's it really that's what i wanted to share with you i'd be delighted to answer any other questions if they come in or to um you know to, to talk about any one of those in more detail 
while we wait for questions and also yeah. feel free to write to me privately if you'd like to stay anonymous uh, with your question uh, just feel free and I will pass the question on just a reminder um, as we as we go on some of you have already done that and I'm gonna make a, an announcement uh, while we wait for any other questions to come in which is on the next slide. Would you mind moving the slide? Yep, brilliant. It's all right. Uh, it's for the next Friday Life podcast. And that is with Cara Moore. She is going to talk to us about the 10 ways to be more resilient at work. So if you can join us uh, on the 29th of September, we're taking a really long break over August and uh, most of September. So do uh, join us again. If you want to catch up with some of our old podcasts in the meantime, uh, as I say, they're all on the website voiceatthetable.com. And it looks like we don't have any other questions. So, so either it all made perfect sense and you all know exactly what you're going to do next. Um, or I've blinded you with science. But if you, if you think of anything afterwards, <laughs> then, you know, you can contact me through Voice at the Table and I'd be happy to, to answer any remaining questions. Brilliant. Uh, well, there's a couple of comments saying thank you very much. It was all very helpful. Great. <laughs> well, thanks again, Amanda. And I hope you can join us again uh, next time at the end of September. I'm Andrea James and I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Yeah,